Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the In Squash podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. And uh, first of all, I hope you're all enjoying the Windy City Open. Uh, we're into the semifinal stages uh, now on the men's and women's side. So I uh, hope you, you're enjoying those matches. Uh, some great results, uh, some great matches up till now. Um, and uh, should, should continue to be so. Now, uh, this week... On episode 12 of the In Squash podcast, we have uh, none other than Jethro Bins, uh, the co-founder of SquashSkills.com. Um, he co-founded the, uh, the website along with uh, Peter Nickel, and uh, he's had uh, quite a career in squash, uh, starting out obviously as a, uh, as a player on the PSA Tour, where his uh, pro career was uh, sort of cut uh, cut short uh, due to an injury. Uh, we got into that a bit, and uh, we also talked a lot about uh, squashskills.com. We talked a lot about how he got uh, into uh, coaching and what motivated him to, uh, to get into that and how he developed into uh, the coach that he is today, where squash skills started and how it's taken form, how it's taken shape. And uh, a whole bunch of other uh, topics, which I'm, I'm sure uh, many of you will find interesting. So uh, we want to thank Jethro for coming on the podcast. Uh, it was a great, uh, great chat. And uh, now he's off to um, the Yucatan Peninsula uh, in Mexico. Uh, Going to take a few weeks off, uh, let his hair down, sleep in a hammock uh, for a few weeks, enjoy the sights, uh, travel around on... Uh, on the buses, uh, uh, third uh, or second class buses. That's the way to see it, you know, see the, the real uh, Mexico uh, on the Yucatan Peninsula. Stay away from those, uh, from the resorts. Or, oh, the resorts are fine, but uh, uh, you want to see the real uh, thing. You, you go off the beaten track, and I think that's, what's, that's what uh, Jethro's going to do. So uh, anyways, it was great chatting with Jethro. We, uh, we got a bit... Uh, get a bit more familiar with who he is because he's got a great backstory and uh, we all know about squash skills but uh, it's a great website and uh, hopefully uh, they just keep on uh, churning out more and more content and developing more and more uh, ideas in terms of how to uh, help us uh, the players and uh, of all levels and ages improve uh, our squash so Jethro Bins episode 12 Okay, uh, everyone, welcome to uh, the In Squash podcast. Uh, we're lucky to have with us today uh, Jethro Bins of uh, Squash Skills uh, fame, and he's also a former PSA pro player himself. Uh, Jethro, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Jerry. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's nice Hi. to be here. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I gather now you're, uh, you're in Bristol uh, today. Uh, I see Squash Skills has quite a few initiatives, coaching uh, clinics and things uh, going on. What, what, uh, what's on your plate uh, uh, over the next few uh, days? Uh, I'm actually gearing up to go on holiday, um, which is nice. Okay. <laughs> um, we've, um, yeah, I'm going, going away to Mexico for a couple of weeks as of Monday, but we do have uh, we do have a camp actually uh, this weekend in Birmingham uh, with David Pearson, uh, Jesse Engelbrecht, Gary, myself. Um, so we're kind of we're doing that Saturday and Sunday, 
and then straight down to Gatwick and, and shooting off. So I've got a hectic couple of days now in the office just to kind of clear the decks and, and get the auto auto responder on the email and uh, and get ready to to hopefully have a little bit of a break. Well, Mexico is always a good time. Are you going to uh, which which uh, coast? The the Gulf Coast. Uh, to, yeah, Yucatan Peninsula. Oh, brilliant! Um, yeah. So we're going we're going off piste, uh, Holbosch, and then down towards Puntarral and taking the fly rods. Going to be doing some fishing and um, yeah, switching off, getting away from it all for a bit, trying really? to avoid emails and uh, and phones, which would be nice. Yeah, yeah. you're go- you're going to do some. Uh, are you still going to? Uh, get on the beach and do some court sprints? Uh, I can't remember the last time I did court sprints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, not in, it's not in anymore, is it? <laughs> no, the chance of doing one a beach in Mexico is, um, is very unlikely. I might go for a run there, to be fair. I've, um, I have actually got back into my squash playing a little bit more and been enjoying it a bit more and um, kind of got a little bit fitter. So I'd like to. Well, you look uh, extremely fit uh, in your videos on squash skills. Uh, so, uh, that, you know, you want to keep uh, amazing. Keep fit. It's amazing what you do with editing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jethro, just uh, let's step back a bit because, I'm, I mean, I, I, I heard of your name uh, on the tour before you uh, started into squash skills. On, uh, uh, I think you had a reasonably decent uh, career until you, you um, I guess, maybe got hurt. Uh, with injury, but uh, you grew up in Abergavenny in Wales. Is that Abergavenny? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, I guess oh. it's, it's kind of a small uh, squash uh, community. You you played out of a leisure centre there. Uh, could you tell us what it was like uh, growing up uh, in the squash community there? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, you had to be committed, I guess. Um, we, I, you know, I grew up on a sheep farm uh, on the side of a hill, kind of five miles out of Abergavenny and there was a leisure centre in the town with a couple of squash courts. So I got into the game when I was about seven. Uh, a good friend of ours, a family friend, was a coach up in, uh, up in London, a guy called Gareth Edwards. So he kind of got, got me off on a decent path uh, between kind of seven and ten. And then, yeah, fortunately my parents were, were incredible um, and you know, drive me around. So it wasn't just, we weren't based out of Abergavenny the whole time. We'd kind of be across South Wales and ended up playing quite a lot out of Pontypool. Um, so there was a coach again, the other day it's called Phil Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a guy called Matthew Crowley. Uh, he was involved in the Welsh setup and he kind of became my personal coach from, from the age of 10. Um, but from, I guess, from the age of eight or nine, nine, I was involved with the Welsh junior setup. So we'd have squads down in Cardiff and, um, yeah, was, was down there. I think Chris Robertson came into the Welsh fold when I was about 10. So I had a year of having some sessions with him as a, as a 10 year old and then kind of got immersed in the, in the junior setup, I guess. So, you know, it was, it was predominantly Matthew Crowley who, you know, he was my coach from 10 to 18. Um, yeah. But yeah, I relied on, on a fair amount of travelling. So there wasn't a squash scene per se in Abergavenny. It was more the kind of the South Wales setup, I guess. And then um, a good friend of mine, Lewis Hurst, he, he was British national champion under 15. He's kind of Tom Richards, Chris Simpson age group. Okay. Uh, I think he beat Tom in the final. 
So he was Abergavenny. So we were essentially kind of training partners throughout my early junior career in in Abergavenny. But it wasn't it wasn't a wild a wild scene in Abergavenny, that's for sure. So you had uh, sorry, his name was his last name was Crowley. What was his first name again? Your coach Matthew Matthew Crowley. Matthew yeah, so Crowley. he was a Welsh uh, Welsh. He was a coach, you know, the age groups. I think he was assistant national coach for uh, for a while, um, and then. Yeah, he did. There, he nearly went went for a role within a more senior role. Um, didn't get that role, and then he he kind of left squash coaching and went on to become a lawyer or a solicitor. Right. Um, he was. Did, he, he was very uh, did Matthew have an? Obviously, he had a great influence on on you uh, in terms of his coaching. What was it that you remember about his uh, coaching style that may have uh, influenced uh, you down the road? Um, he was very technical. Um, had a, a good eye for technique and we spent a lot of time hitting balls at the front of the court um, so he was also the coach to, to Lewis Hurst and, and Peter Creed uh, okay. as well so he's got a pretty solid pedigree in there but um, yeah good attention to deal, detail on technique and he was just very committed you know he was he was driving from Pontypool to Abergavenny to give us lessons for, for £10 and you know, oh wow just yeah, he was very good. yeah. Squash, squash in South Wales was different to squash in the states, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I'd say commitment, and then yeah, great, great eye for technique, really. And that's something that uh, that's something that you you've sort of brought with you to the uh, to the squash skills website. Uh, I mean that that we'll get into that later, but I do I do notice quite a bit of a really uh, excellent technical uh, breakdown of various parts of the game. So I'm not I'm not sure if that ha, that rubbed off on you that way, but it certainly uh, shows on the uh, squash skills uh, videos that you you and your team put together. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, I'm a firm believer that technique is kind of at the foundation of a solid game of squash. Um, I think that was drummed into me. You know, if, I know the Egyptian kind of style of squash. We had Ali Frag talk about it being more important where the ball ends up, but I think the game becomes a lot easier if that's underpinned by a solid, a solid technique, you know, that doesn't break down under pressure and allows you to get a ball into space. So I, I definitely do have a technical eye and technical angle in my coaching still. I think that probably comes across, but um, certainly interesting to hear different, different approaches from different people, um, which I think you can do on squash skills. I mean, there's plenty of variety on there now. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, after the, the junior career, uh, you went, uh, like we all, many of us do, uh, went off to university. You went to the University of Loughborough. Is it Loughborough? Am I pronouncing Loughborough. It? Yeah. Loughborough. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and um, I'm just wondering because I, I know you played in the World University Games. I spoke with uh, Stephen Coppinger. Uh, he was on the podcast a few weeks ago. And we have a mutual friend who, here where I live in the UAE, he played with uh, Stephen in Birmingham University. And it, we just talked about the the university squash competitions in the UK at that time and the, the quality that was there. Uh, did you play varsity squash for Loughborough? I did. Uh, it still bugs me today. I actually lost to Steve <laughs> in the in the team event in the deciding match. Okay. Uh, we were too we were 2004 with, or so? Or? Uh, that was probably 2000. Yeah, that was with Chris Ryder was... Number one, I was number two. So, yeah, I think we were we were two all, and um, and then Steve and I were two all, and 
then my wheels definitely fell <laughs> fell off okay. in the fifth game. Right. Um, yeah, it was it was a long one. So uh, yeah, I never I, I won actually won the individuals um, the year in my final year. So yeah, I lost I lost the sort of goal cell in my second last year in the final, and then I beat Peter Creed in the final in my last year to win the individuals. But yeah, we as Loughborough, I think we made two finals, um, two finals in a semi. I think when I in the years that I was there but never actually managed to win it. We lost 2-3-2, two, two. so I lost to Steve in the one decider, and then I lost to Joel, uh, Joel Hines. Again, that was two hours five, and we wow. got 6-2 up in the fifth or something, and uh, started falling over. The only time I've ever cramped up in a match, but walking to receive serve, I was falling <laughs> over. So, <laughs> the, the, the calves. Yeah, at a team level, university squash still, know, there's something in there that's not, Quite, didn't quite achieve what we were hoping to as a team, but um, well, I did manage to. I think what, what Steve and I, what I asked Steve uh, was about the, the quality of the, the varsity squash in the UK, because what gets a lot of publicity, uh, at least in my, where I'm from Canada, so um, I live in the UAE now, but I'm from Canada, and uh, varsity squash at the collegiate level in the US is huge in terms of, uh, you know, big uh, scholarships and big name coaches and, and some of the young players that they get over there. So I was just wondering uh, uh, what sort of level it is in the UK. And it almost seems like it's even better. Than, than yeah, I think there's, I mean, you look at it now and obviously you've got the Shabaggies are in there and Josh, Josh Masters, James Peach, you know, there's, um, there's definitely some, some very good players over here currently. And I mean, when we were playing our, our era was, Chris Ryder, Johnny Harford, Joel Hines, Jamie Haycox, Peter Creed, um, Self, Lewis Hurst, Mohamed El Sayed. So, it you know, Saurav. Um, so it was, yeah, I think there's, there's patches where it's, it's very, very strong. You know, the top eight, often the top eight will go on to, to go and play pro, I guess, um, yeah. and, and give it a shot. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's interesting because everybody's, it's quite a nice way to be a student in the UK in the, so certainly if you were centrally located, um, you could go off and play all the leagues. So right. on, on a Tuesday night, I'd be playing Northwest counties on a Wednesday night, I'd be playing Yorkshire league. And then on a Thursday night, I'd be playing, um, playing Welsh league doing about a thousand miles a week, you know, <laughs> beat up escort. Um, then you have playing. to study. <laughs> well, that's it. It was, yeah, it was, it was a combination of study, party, and playing squash. It was um, <laughs> right. a tough balance to find and get some sleep, you know, in amongst it all. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was a great environment to be because actually, you know, obviously you have a university team to train with and, and then you could go off and, and play these leagues and be competing against, you know, professionals who were you know, on the tour at the time and getting two, three like, great matches and then you'd have your competitions at weekends. So it was definitely a very healthy environment to be a part of um, in the UK. And I think, I mean, I don't know what the percentage of um, players in the States that go on, you know, finish their degree and go on to be pro. I think it's, it's probably reasonably small, but in terms of the UK, you know, that it was like a stepping stone, you know, to professional squash rather than that being the end goal. I know a lot of US students look to... You know, using their squash to get get into college, right? Um, I believe. Whereas here, it was 
you know, you, you play your squash and that's part of university. And then, you know, a yeah. chunk of us want to give it a go once we got our degrees. So, would you, uh, I mean, it, it just seems to me that um, perhaps, maybe I'm wrong, but perhaps the, the players that really are going to consider a pro squash career, they might, and, and university at the same time, they might uh, consider more uh, playing in the UK varsity as opposed to the US varsity. Um, I, yeah, I, I, do. I wouldn't like to generalize now because obviously you've got players like Amanda, Amanda right. Sobi and Ali Farag. Ali Farag, and, yeah. The Egyptian guys coming, going, or going across the states is definitely. Yeah, I think some of them have intentions. You know, Todd Harrity, I guess, Julian Illingworth. There's, there's certainly exceptions to that rule. Yeah. But um, you know, in in the UK, it seems maybe it's just that there's you know maybe more, more higher level players, perhaps. I think you know, or historically there were anyway. Certainly in my era. Yeah. Um, with the UK than maybe at the US junior level. So it's only natural that some of them would go there, on to... There was no academic uh, financial assistance from the universities for, for you guys. Was um, I think we, we all got... They, there, was a, there was the TAS scheme that I managed to get on, um, okay. which was the Town Elite Scholarship Scheme. So there was funding towards competition, towards events, towards travel expenses. Okay. Um, so that kind of all helped out, to, you know, and contributed towards the uh, the cost of university, I guess, in some ways. And, you know, and the fact we were able to play leagues, that meant you were, you know, a reasonably well-off student. If you could play three leagues a week and earn, you know, 100 quid a league, yeah, then that wasn't, wasn't a bad position to be in as a university student. So Absolutely. whilst there wasn't maybe you know, loads and loads of cash as a result, you know, um, of, of scholarships directly, it was well. Any step. bit of cash as a student's a, a bit of cash. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you can't knock it. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Squash kind of. It's like squash was the scholarship in some ways, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Rather than, oh, yeah. Yeah, having access to uh, the high-level squash, uh, not only in the university uh, scene but uh, in the leagues. I guess that that's definitely that's what you mean. Oh, yes. Sorry, but I meant, yeah, and also the ability to earn some money uh, yeah. as a squash player, you know, that bonus. So, bonus uh, but, and then uh, you, when you left university, you, you uh, turned pro, but you also coached the uh, University of Bristol. Uh, is that right? Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of young squash players end up getting their coaching badge and, and doing some coaching because obviously it's we know is there's not lots of lots of money kicking about particularly when you're kind of a hundred odd in the world so um i was i initially once i finished i moved to bristol for a year to train with hadrian stiff and elite squash so myself and lewis uh, lewis hurst went to live with hadrian mm-hmm. and uh we hadrian was trying you know expanding the elite squash program i was naturally kind of one of the assistant coaches so we were coaching bristol university uh, and then Hadrian went on to start working with the UE, um, the University of the West of England, which is where the Shabaggies are now, okay. uh, which left kind of this gap uh, at Bristol University, which, which I just kind of naturally took on. So I'd travel across from, I actually moved over to Cardiff then as part of, you know, obviously involved in the Welsh setup. So we'd travel back across to, to Bristol and coach on a, on a Monday night. And I ended up coaching, I was coached there for about five or six years. Um, we made a couple of finals of the women's and got to premier in the men's and 
yeah, we had we had a, a good little run of things actually, and I think yeah, Bristol's but, such a, a hub of university squash with UE as well, and um, yeah. We, so that we had a may have got you uh, that may have got you thinking more at that time more uh, about uh, coaching as a as a profession in the future. Yeah, it's I mean it's a tough one as a squash player. Um, yeah, yeah, trying to understand where you want to be. Obviously, you've got the the kind of draw and attraction of America with you know relatively big bucks, I guess, compared to playing. Um, you know, obviously, forget to the. I mean, it's improved a lot recently, isn't it? The the tour's got you know a lot more wealth. Yeah. To it, um, but certainly back in those days, you were having to supplement your income with where you could with coaching. Um, so I, I always enjoyed coaching, but I guess the idea of also spending, you know, the rest of my life still on a squash court hitting balls wasn't, didn't massively appeal to me. If you know what I mean. So I enjoyed coaching as I said, but it was, do I want this to be my career forever? And, and you know, obviously then we got to the point where, other opportunities presented themselves and, and the idea of squash skills came along and that kind of presented like a happy medium, I guess. Nice. Right. Well, you got to as high as uh, 84 in the world before, I think before you retired, just to describe your, your pro career uh, uh, for us the P- on the PSA tour. Yeah, I had, I mean, I had a great time. It was, it's such a brilliant way to spend your early twenties. Um, I, yeah, I finished university and did what, yeah, I had a good kind of couple of years in university and my level jumped up and as a result ended up getting onto the Welsh lottery funding. So there was myself and Rob Sutherland at the time. Uh, so Rob was a great, a great player, got to about 67 in the world. Um, so yeah, we were both kind of essentially the same age and, and traveling a lot together and I, yeah, once I finished university, I'd, I'd had a couple of years on tour, I'd done a couple of trips to Australia and I was hovering around, you know, a couple of hundred, 200 in the world, something like that. And then finished and then he had a really good season. Um, I think I became, yeah, became Welsh national champion um, at senior level. And then... What year was that, uh, Jethro? I think it's 2007. Okay. Uh, so you follow along, uh, I guess that... David Evans, uh, guys like that. Uh, yeah, Alex. So there was Alex Goff, Alex David Goff. Evans, Kevin Jones, yep. uh, and then I. Yeah, then I won it, and then Creedy. Yeah, Peter took over the mantle. Yeah. Uh, the next few years. Yeah, there's quite a bit of pedigree there, so you should uh, you should feel proud. Yeah, yeah. I I I got a little a, a little bit lucky. I beat Rob in the final, but Dave and Alex. I think Alex had just made the quarters of the world open, I think in Bermuda. So he'd unexpectedly um, kind of had to stay on, which meant that a gap opened up in the draw, um, which was, so um, yeah, I I won that. And then went on to become the the highest mover in the world for that year um, on the PSA tour. Um, Was doing pretty well, got up to, I think it was 86. 84. 84, my research tells me. Don't sell yourself short. I'll take that. Okay. Um, so yeah, then had yeah, had some had some good events, was doing well, and then went to play the universe the World University Championships in Cairo. So that weirdly it was kind of a year after university. You were still eligible 
it was just dependent on where your year fell. So myself, Alan Klein, Joel Hines, went off to the university championships and then I was playing Omar Mossad yeah. in, uh, in the quarterfinals. And I think I lost the first game. And it was just the beginning of the second game. And uh, yeah, went went to do the, tried to pick up a ball uh, in the front left. He played a great drop shot that actually rolled out the nick. I don't know why I tried to get it back, but I did. And uh, charged in, did the splits. And then the court was slightly slippy, slightly dusty. And my uh, my front leg just kept going. Oh. So I ended up completely doing the splits uh, to the point where, well, yeah. Yeah, everything was just flat on the ground. <laughs> it was the gap between between me and the ground, and um, it was like the sensation. You know, when you pull an elastic band and it goes, it doesn't snap, but it goes past its stretching point. It just yeah. goes like. So yeah, yeah. that basically that happened, and my hamstring detached from my pelvis. Oh my! Um, so yeah, that was a pretty horrible feeling. So I was kind of lying on this floor of court in Egypt, and. Um, yeah, got wheelchaired out of the club, went to the, and got taken back to the hotel room and uh, an Egyptian doctor came came up and she told me I had a torn, a torn of my hamstring and told me to take two pills, one for the muscle, one for the torn, and the next day I'd walk and then the following day I'd run, um, <laughs> but I didn't buy into it really? um, what, what kind yeah, of medicine was she feeding you well, i don't know i should have, i don't think i even took the pills i wish i had of yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> i had two days later i had to get on a um yeah i got on a plane basically and and flew back to the uk and um yeah went and saw my physio under the funding um i said oh, i think i've torn my hamstring she was like, are you sure you torn your hamstring i said oh, well i think so and um yeah, I walked in, lay on the bed and lifted up my shorts. She went, oh my God, have you seen the bruising? I said, oh, what, what bruising? And then, and then she showed me in the mirror and it was like, oh, right, okay. So well, my leg was starting to go black. And, oh my. Um, and then I got sent off for an MRI scan and then got told that, yeah, it was this complete rupture, which meant that um, I had to have surgery and had a suture put in, had it reattached. Um, which so how long, how long did they give you to recover? Uh, it was, well, I had seven months off tour. So I actually had a pretty, a pretty solid recovery in that sense. But as you can imagine, it's, you know, your body wants to protect, protect itself. Yeah. Uh, so lunging was, yeah, it was very tense. It's not the same. Yeah. No, and it was just tighter. Um, like, as you can imagine, it was a bit shorter, well, a bit tighter. So that was pulling my kind of hips and back. So I ended up constantly having niggles, but I actually, um, my first tournament back, I went to San Francisco and I played, uh, I qualified and then played a guy called Jorge Ferreira, who was a Mexican guy who was, uh, he was a very good player. He was ranked 49 in the world and I beat him in my first event back, I beat him wow. in 11 and the fifth, I think. Okay. Um, which that's a, that's a confidence pretty- booster for you. It was. It was like, okay, this isn't this isn't so bad. Um, but then, unfortunately, yeah, I think I played Johnny Kemp, John Kemp, then and lost to him. But then, this just constantly niggle, constant niggles, as I say, because it was a bit shorter and pulling. My back was out, my hips were out, and ended up having a pretty torrid season. So that was in the May, and then twelve months later, um, I went to the European Team Championships 
and I knew there was kind of pressure on me in my lottery funding. Um, I always had a little bit of a strained relationship, I guess, with, with Chris Robertson and with Squash Wales, but right. I felt like there, there was pressure. At, and we, yeah, we, we all knew that if I didn't have a good, a good event, then uh, yeah, the writing was on the wall. Uh, and I ended up, I think my week at Welsh number one was Arthur Gaskin, Alan Klein, Greg Goltier, Nick Matthew, Lauren Zanjema. <laughs> so it was a pretty tough five yeah. days. Yeah. By the fifth day, I couldn't even, I couldn't even move against LJ. Um, yeah. But I struggled. I lost three love with everyone, actually. And, uh, and that was it. And I, we always used to have the calf chat with, with Robbo. If you, were, if you got called for a calf chat, you knew you were in trouble right. um, down at the Institute of Sport. So I had my calf chat in, uh, in June. And, so was Rob, uh, was Robbo a bit of a uh, was a proponent of the tough love philosophy or? Uh... Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He's pretty Aussie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was pretty Aussie. Um, so, yeah, it was. It was tough and bizarrely, I um, I, th- I genuinely think it was probably the week the week after, I felt genuinely free on the squash court. So I'd had my lottery funding cut, and then. I could actually move and my, my whole lunge came back. And, you know, now I, it, you, you can't tell that I, I had an operation and my whole range of movement is there. Right. I'd essentially had 12 months where it hadn't been. And at the time I felt like I probably warranted another year of lottery funding because I genuinely hadn't recovered right. completely and was genuinely hindered. My performance was hindered. And I think if I had have had another year, it would have been interesting to have seen what what would have happened and where you know where things could have gone to. So I guess um, at that point you decided to uh, rethink squash. Yeah, I at that point I, I spoke to Hadrian. So I'd gone left university, gone to Bristol, and then gone back to Cardiff, and then back to my parents in Abergavenny while I was playing those two years on the tour, or that year, sorry, one year um, at my parents. And then it was like, right, okay, so how are we going to earn some money? Uh, and sat down with Hadrian and said, right, well, let's let's dive, or I'll dive into elite squash with him. And moved moved back to Bristol, and um, and started coaching. And I I, I didn't play that much squash that summer, um, but I did do some bike sprints and kept kept reasonably fit. And thought, right, we'll just see how PSA goes. And I went and played a tournament in. Ireland in Dublin I think in the November and did yeah, I think I made, I made the semi-finals um yeah I made the semis over there uh but that was that was essentially my last event so obviously yeah. you you still had some squash left in you but uh there was something that told you maybe it's time to rethink it and and move on well, to something else unfortunately it came you know, it came down to cash that's the reality yep. of being a hundred in the world without any lottery funding yeah you know it's it's an expensive hobby at that point so um yeah so moved you, to Bristol with maybe you did you feel like uh because you were injured you did maybe perhaps deserved a second chance but you didn't get it is that kind of and um, I you know at the time I I felt I another year could have easily been justified yeah uh if I had a season where I was injured, yes, I wasn't performing particularly well and my results weren't good, but there was a genuine reason for that. And 
a, you know, genuinely a week later, it's like, oh, I can lunge again properly and freely. And that makes, you know, makes a big difference to a squash player if you're not yeah, worried about going to the corner. So, you know, it, it was definitely cut a bit short. And I do feel like there was unfulfilled potential, uh, which is frustrating. And, yeah. you know, the, that, that ranking figure was... I could, you know, I definitely would have got, I should have got higher. Just if I hadn't got injured, just by turning up at a few events, you know, it would have been in high 60s, 70s, just from accumulating some points by getting on a flight. Uh, I don't know where where I would have ended up. Um, you know, there's definitely some natural talent in there, but you know, I was, I don't think I would, I wasn't top 10. Um, but who's to say? I would well, you never know. Top. I mean, uh, you never know, but. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, you, you know, you've had some good wins over. I mean, in in your career leading up to that, and uh, a couple more, like that that confidence. Once you get it, you never know what what <clears throat> could have happened. Well, but, no, you're right. Um, yeah. You never know what what could have happened. But I think every, you know, every, it's cliche, but every cloud has a silver lining. And exactly. So I wouldn't still be you know trying to grind it out on the tour now at 70 in the world. And we um, have uh, we have squash skills because of it. So, uh, uh, which, which is what I wanted to get into uh, here. Uh, in, in my mind, uh, uh, squashskills.com, it's, a, it's exactly what the squash world needed. Uh, there's lots of coaching stuff out there on YouTube, and it's, uh, it's not well organized, and uh, you never really know if it's reliable or, or not, but squash skills really brings it you've brought it all together and it's uh, it's a wonderful uh, resource and uh, teaching tool motivational tool that's got everything um how did uh, uh you founded this with peter nickel obviously how, how did your partnership with uh, with peter uh, begin so squash skills came about as a result of you know i was back in abergavenny and a family friend of ours, uh, he was trying to work out the next thing to do. And he, he spotted um, a, a company called Fuzzy Yellow Balls. Um, who were an online, they were doing some YouTube videos around tennis. And he kind of said, can't we do something around, you know, around this in squash? Well, maybe. He was like, look, I can do some filming. We'll get you. You're a coach. You know, let's, let's see if we make this happen. So we, um, we had this camera and we went and shot some very, very dodgy videos <laughs> from the early <laughs> days. Um, remember being so nervous, um, just not being able to speak to camera and it was all, all a bit of a mess, but, um, we, we were kind of muddling along just with this as a concept. And then Peter was my, uh, he managed the Prince sponsorship and I've been with Prince since I was 10. Okay. Uh, so he was my point of contact and then basically set up a call. And talked to him, talked to him about the idea, and said, "You know, would you be up for doing some content for us?" He said, "Yeah, I'd do it as part of my Prince contract. You know, it's exposure for them." So we went down to Canary Wharf, and we filmed about thirty videos with a green screen out the back of the court at Canary Wharf with with Peter and um, John and I. Both looked at each other at that point and went, "Ah." Oh, he really knows his stuff, doesn't he? <laughs> He's really good. Um, maybe we should try and get him, get him more involved. Um, so we ended up giving Peter a share of the company. So I went off and bought a camera, uh, a 600-quid Canon SLR, and said to Pete, I said, come on, let's do this. 
and we filmed some videos and Pete and I spent a decent chunk of time together when he was living in Aberdeen. So you're, you're the technical guy uh, in the early days anyways, you were the tech guy behind. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I, well, yeah, I think we were, yeah, tech guy, squash guy, go ahead, trying to do, trying to do a bit of everything. Trying to do it all, yeah. yeah. Master of none. Um, <laughs> I was quite involved with the music scene in Bristol. Um, I was promote, or I still do promote nights here and uh, had some connections to some creative people and got put in touch with this guy, Mark, who had a company called Yada. And we originally, I think the initial website was going to be £2,000. Um, that's what we thought we were going to build this for. And I think it came in close to about five eventually, um, but kept kind of chucking some money at it and, and launched with a hundred very ropey videos, but we built up a bit of a, um, a social media following at that point. I think we had about 15,000 Facebook fans. Yeah. So kind of leading up to launch, uh, launch date, it was, you know, this is coming, Squash Skills is coming, Peter Nickel, Jeffrey Bins, uh, you know, online squash coaching for all, and got a little bit of marketing and a bit of hype leading up to, to that date. And um, yeah, July the 2nd was, a hilarious kind of day went to the office I remember cycled to office cycled to work and um it absolutely um peed it down <laughs> so I was <laughs> ended up being soaking wet and was sat in the office in these soaking wet trousers <laughs> ended up having to take them off so I was just sat there in my underpants and uh, <laughs> and we pushed go, go live on the on the website yeah and um and then like 40 people, we had this 33% annual discount if you signed up now. I remember and that. I think yeah. 40 people signed up on the I first day. I signed up that day. Yeah, did you? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah, so 40 people signed up for this annual membership and, and it was like £4,000 has come in. And um, I was like, wow, this, this could actually work. And um, it, yeah, it was a bit of a game-changing moment really. Cause That's was, awesome. Well, yeah, I guess when you see something like that happen, I mean, there it is. Yeah. yeah, it was like the first week kind of this money that, you know, numbers that I'd never ever kind of come close to thinking about as a squash player. It was like, wow, that's it's coming into the PayPal account and, and yeah. people kind of were buying into it. Um, well, I think yes, not, so not only uh, customers, but I think you've got the who's who of uh, squash players and coaches now uh, making contributions to your site. Uh, uh, that, that seems, that's what's really impressive uh, these days. I mean, you could find just about you name the player. He's he's uh, offered up something uh, on your your website in terms of coaching, fitness, what what have you, footwork. Uh, I was watching um, Adrian Grant's uh, piece the other day on his footwork, which was which was amazing. Uh, I actually tried some of it uh, myself, but um, yeah, I mean, who's who uh, is there? Yeah, I mean that's that's very much um, Peter's connections i guess and peter's friendships uh yeah meant that you know we were able to call in a lot of favors um and i you know i'd look back at some of the early productions and feel kind of embarrassed by some of them um but that credibility instantly came from the names associated with the sport you know peter and i made a conscious decision for it not to be peter nichols squash skills or Peter Nichols squash. Um, it was about building a bigger brand than that. That was beyond just one person. Well, I think uh, I, I was talking, I forget who it was that I was talking uh, about squash skills on an earlier podcast, but 
I kind of, uh, I feel that you've taken a page out of like uh, sort of the golf channel book, you know, right. where, they, where they bring in, you know, different pros every week and they're, they're breaking down every part of the game. And it's not just one guy. It's uh, all the, the top pros are uh, on there giving their, their tips and their on technique and different things. And I think squash skills is, uh, is doing the same thing, which is great, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's no, look, there's no one way to play squash. And that, that was what Peter and I wanted to avoid. It wasn't, this is how Jethro and Peter think you should play squash, do it this way. It actually becomes far more interesting if you're listening to different players' point of views, people from different countries, different coaching styles, uh, different philosophies. You know, we're trying, we're, we're launching some new series now where we, we did the Ali Farag one the yeah. other day, getting inside the mind of Ali Farag and just did another one with Hadrian Stiff. We filmed with Hadrian Stiff yesterday inside the you know inside his mind and approach to coaching and i think it's far more interesting to to take on everybody's view I, I guess as a beginner it could possibly be a little bit confusing you've got one person saying one thing one person saying another yeah. what do i believe but at the same time you've got to work it out for yourself to a certain extent you've got to try things and i'd rather have a resource out there that's full of ideas and full of concepts and full of different opinions and also i think i think your website i mean for regardless if you're a beginner advanced or even a pro i mean your website is designed in such a way that if you're a beginner you can find beginner relevant materials that don't bog you down with too much technical or or mental uh, aspects of the game it just keeps it simple that's um that's good to know i always you know you i always struggle with and working out how we can make it better and you'll get the odd comment or the occasional comment where there's not enough for beginners or I get confused. And I think if you dive into it and you start diving into the playlists, it becomes much more apparent where you should be looking. But at the same time, there's, you know, maybe three and a half thousand videos on there now. So I appreciate it can be quite daunting for some people as well, but it's yeah, good well, for that. someone like me, I'm, a, I'm a, almost 50 and I'm trying to stay competitive and what, what I look for and I can easily just, through the design of your website, I, I look for um, circuit training stuff that's relevant and uh, something that I can do. And I find, you know, I can find that quite easily on, on your site. So depending on your needs, uh, I think your site does a good job of uh, laying it out and making it easy to uh, uh, find these things. Oh, that's great. That's, uh, that's good to know. And yeah. um, you know, I think we're trying to explore different types of content this week. For the first time, we've done uh, the coach's eye feature, where we're we're trying to analyse amateur play, and you know, I'm I'm giving my views. Uh, you know, I'm t doing a running commentary through the game, what I'd say in the 90 seconds between games, and then what I'd encourage the player Andy to go and work on for kind of six eight weeks after after the match to improve his play. But then equally, we've done that. Jesse's done exactly the same thing, so we're actively trying to encourage. You know, we're not debate, but it, I'm trying to make it obvious that people see the game differently and have different approaches and different tactics. And you see that in the way the, the, the top 10 players all play. There's no one way to play squash. Everyone has a slightly different approach. And I think that's what makes it such a fascinating, fascinating game. So it's something I want to push a bit more and try and get David Pearson talking about one of the amateur players and then comparing that with Hadrian Stiff. 
and yeah. seeing what they both pick up on, what they go and encourage the other player to do. And I think that's what's becoming really, really fascinating for me now. I feel very fortunate to have been exposed to you know some of the best coaches in the world and understanding how they approach the game. And you listen to some of them talking about you know one style being you know not making sense, and they should do, you should do it this way. But then you you realise actually if you pull pull the thread and you have a you know, combinations of those coaching styles could be a completely killer formula. You know. Uh, I find it yeah. really fascinating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mike uh, Mike Way was saying that um, he saw a video of a guy, a top ten player in the world. And I'm not. He didn't name the person, didn't name the player, but he was saying he was giving a a lesson on how to hit a forehand, proper forehand drive, and the way that this player would normally hit the ball wasn't anywhere close to the <laughs> the way that he had shown people how to hit it in the video. No, no, it's, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I think a lot of um, focus is maybe placed on the kind of beginning, the starting point of the swing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the commonality that will, you know, does transcend all the top players will be through the point of impact, that kind of foot 18 inches um, through the impact zone. And I think you, you'd find that the racket face is, doing very similar things across the top 10. You know, the, rack, the bottom edge will be coming through, the racket face will be open, they'll be working the ball with the strings. Yeah. There'll be a decent amount of space between the player's body and where the racket face is. But whether, you know, you look at Shibagi and the, you know, the racket is, is almost rolled over and pointing at the floor at the top of the swing in some instances. And, you know, you compare that to Gregory Gaultier or... You know, Nick Mackey, they're, they're completely different at, at the, the setup at the beginning of the swing, but that impact point is where those kind of non-negotiables come in. Yeah. You know, the grip will be very similar. And yeah, identifying, where... like you said, those non-negotiables, that, the, those are critical uh, things. And I think you guys uh, are doing a good job of that, uh, breaking that down, the technical side on uh, squash skills. Uh, Jethro, just I know you've been very generous with your time. I know I said 30 minutes. We're now into 40. So... Uh, just a couple more questions. You guys have a partnership with uh, the PSA now. What what exactly uh, does this entail? Um, we yeah, we've just we're we're working a lot closer with them. Uh, I'm speaking with with Tommy Burden a lot. Um, we've good coach, just done a, good coach there as well. He's a great coach. Yeah, he works yeah. with um, with Paul, doesn't he? And he's, yeah. he's a man of many talents. Is Tommy? He's a, a very busy. <laughs> busy man where he wears lots of hats um but yeah we're we're working uh closely on sharing ideas and, and concepts we're helping each other with with marketing uh we're we're exploring the idea of um of coach global coaching camps uh obviously we've got access to uh squash tv footage that plays a big part in in what we do uh so we, we firmed up the relationship there but then I'm speaking like Nathan and I are concepting some new series, working with the top 10 players uh, along the lines of the Ali Farag content. Yeah. So trying to, I think we're going to be looking at some two part playlists. Um, one, you know, one will be on squash TV, one will be on squash skills from the same interview where we're trying to dive into the minds of the players and understand, you know, so players can, or uh, fans can get to know the player a little bit more. 
and understand who they are as a person, what makes them tick. Have you, ever, have you ever thought of uh, starting your own podcast, Squash Skills uh, Podcast? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we've got the blog and I think, I mean, yeah. this feature potentially touches upon this. I haven't, yeah, I haven't. It's another thing, another thing on the list. Yeah. Because um, so I know, I mean, I know personally, the, the reason I started my podcast as a hobby, but uh, I listened to podcasts driving to commuting from work and um could never find a squash one right right and uh, you know i'm a knucklehead on behind a laptop here but you know someone like you or uh who does a weekly podcast on you know technical coaching or whatever it is uh you know i think there's definitely a market out there for it yeah it's an interesting one it's it's another thing to add to the list another opportunity it's you know i guess with when it comes to coaching you you know i think videos uh you can see what's going on right and yeah, slow yeah. motion replays and you really articulate stuff so yeah who knows who knows yeah. who knows what you might hold in terms of other, other well you can all i mean if you ever want to uh, anytime you want to come on my podcast and it's you know if you don't have your own yet just let me know okay okay well no we can, uh, we can definitely look at um look at other opportunities and maybe do a coaching focus one or you know sure. maybe we pull, you know we do do it expand on the coach's eye concept and pull in a hadron and a dp and debate about technique or something I don't oh know. that'd be great yeah now before you go uh jethro i know you've got your own uh, other things going on uh, per, uh, in terms of your personal business endeavors uh, uh you're you're into the music scene uh, as well yeah um here in bristol i've got another another company uh called just jack uh so we put on uh, fairly yeah pretty big uh, dance music events so up to about three thousand people okay uh, we do three three big ones a year uh so it's yeah underground house techno and disco um do you have a website is, uh people can see uh uh, there's a Facebook page that I think the website we've, yeah, the website's just, I think there's just a holding page up there, but, um, so it's just, just Jack on Facebook, just Jack. And then, yeah, it's just Jack house music on Facebook. And then okay. there's just Jack recordings on SoundCloud. You can hear some mixes. We've, we've got a record label. Uh, oh, wow. so we've, we've, we put some music out, uh, and how's and that yeah, going for you? Uh, the events company is, yeah, it's great. It's, it's like yin and yang, you know, I get, I get to focus on squash and most of the week and then go and throw some parties with some of the, you know, the biggest, the biggest DJs in the world and, you know, have, <laughs> we go off to festivals and I'm playing in Croatia in, um, oh, wow. yeah. in July. Uh, so it's nice. It's just something different to kind of let your hair off. down, so to speak. Exactly. It's, yeah. um, it's a nice, it's a nice balance and something that's, that's a bit different. Although I do feel like I'm getting too old for it now. No, so. no, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jethro, uh, many, many thanks. Uh, you've been very, uh, you know, generous with your time. Um, and I just want to, uh, encourage you to keep up the good fight and, and with squashskills.com, the, it's the, the best thing going out there. I use it every day. I think I've, uh, just renewed my membership i'll go back and check but um any parting words for us uh, uh squash uh players looking to keep our games uh at, at their peaks 
Uh, I think, yeah, I had an interesting chat with Hadrian yesterday and his, yeah, what he said resonates. It's just keep on learning, keep on striving to improve. There's, there's lots of resources out there now. There's yeah. lots of information. There's lots of advice. Try things. Don't be afraid to get things wrong for a bit. It's okay to kind of take one step forward and two steps back if you've got your eye on the bigger picture and yeah, just, just keep on learning, keep on trying to track down new information and, and don't be afraid to, to give it a go. Well, those are words, uh, very uh, sage advice there. Thank you, uh, Jethro, and uh, all the best uh, with Thanks, squash Jerry. skills and everything uh, and your, just Jack uh, with your music as well. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Jethro. That was fantastic. Uh, very interesting backstory he has there. And uh, unfortunate what happened to him in his match at the World University Games against Omar. It sort of uh, led to cutting his career short, although... Um, you know, if he uh, had the chance, uh, it sounded like he may have uh, been able to play a few more years on the Pro Tour, but uh, he didn't, and he uh, went forward with coaching, and now we have uh, squashskills.com as a result. So uh, great website. I know uh, I use it. I reference it uh, quite often, and I'm sure many of you do too. And uh, we have him and uh, Peter Nickel and their host of uh, many great uh, coaches and players that uh, that produced material on that site to thank for it. So um, thanks again, Jethro. And uh, just quickly now, my picks uh, for the semifinals in the Windy City Open. I'm going to go with uh, all Sherbaggy men's final. And um, I'm going to go with uh, Sarah Jane Perry against Raneem El-Walili in the women's final. Um, and... Uh, well, we'll see who get, who gets to the final, but if, if I were to pick based on those picks, um, I'm going with uh, Marwan to pull the upset and Raineem uh, more than likely to get the win in the uh, w women's side. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. Uh, we've got uh, many more great episodes upcoming, and uh, stay tuned for those. But also uh, don't forget you can go back and listen to the old ones um, well, not old, but uh, relatively uh, old, a month old. Uh, but we've got some great content there. I know I've listened to uh, a fair few of them again uh, myself. And uh, although I hate the sound of my own voice, um, I enjoy listening to uh, some of the, those old stories and insight into squash. So, uh, yeah, I'd uh, recommend that you do it too and uh, share them with your friends. Comment, send me suggestions. Uh, interview suggestions as, as well. I've had a couple of uh, people ask me to bring on Rami. Okay, uh, well, we're trying. Okay, uh, I'd like to bring on Rami. JP, Jonathan Power was another one. Um, I know Jonathan a little bit, so if I can ever manage to uh, to track down his, uh, his contact details, uh, or I guess I could shoot an email to someone who might know them, uh, we could have, uh, might have Jonathan on... Uh, you know, that'd be, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Uh, and, uh, well, I've got a few friends coming on as well. And um, I know the Steve Lawton episode got some, uh, some great reaction, as did the, the Jamie Crombie uh, episode. So uh, there'll be more of that and uh, many more uh, uh, upcoming podcasts that I'm looking forward to, and I know you'll like them. So uh, enjoy your squash, enjoy your uh, day, and we'll talk to you soon.